Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome back to what is series 12 of Food for Thought. I can't thank you enough for the support over the years. I am so delighted to be back with another jam-packed series and I think this series is different. We've got a few real standouts here and so many fascinating topics which I just know that you will love. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, soon to be author of The Science of Nutrition out December the 30th, 2021, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. So over the next 12 weeks, my expert guests and I's aim is to expose why so much advice can often be misleading, to tap into different areas of health and how we can enhance our happiness and harness you all with the truth. So we'll be using proven science to sort fact from fiction and everything that remains confusing in the world of wellness. For decades, we've been obsessed with calories. Daily thoughts for many include how many have we eaten and are they all the same or should we be cutting them to lose weight? In nearly all instances, this isn't healthy behaviour and we need to reshape our perspective when it comes to calories. This week's Food for Thought sees the amazing geneticist Giles Yeo and I deep dive into whether it's time to let go of calorie counting or should we be counting every single one. Hello, Giles. Hello, Re. Lovely to speak to you again. Oh, you too. Do you know, I was so excited when I looked in my diary this morning. I was like, yes, it's Giles podcast day. Um, I feel like we always have so much to cover and this will be your third time, I think, on Food for Thought. And we've never had anyone back three times. So it's quite the honor, you know. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's our pleasure completely. And I think we'll go straight to it and say... Well, it's an interesting time, let's put it that way, in the UK. It's been a crazy kind of year, and at the moment, menus are soon going to be full of calories. Now, you've got a book out about calories, and I was wondering if you think that this should be becoming part of the conversation. Is it a good thing, a bad thing? I, you know, I'm going to give you a maybe a surprisingly nuanced answer. Okay. I, I think clearly we're in the a, a middle of a situation in which the vast majority of 
non-communicable diseases, non-infectious diseases. We are clearly in the middle of an infectious disease pandemic, but non-infectious diseases that we face today are diet-related. Okay, mm. so this is true. So clearly, there's something about our food environment and and how we interact and how our relationship with food which needs fixing, and part of that is more information. And I think that is probably going to be helpful. But is the calorie the right information to have? I guess is 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 the question. Um, I'm going to give a. It depends on what we're using it for. Mm. Okay, so um, my colleagues. Uh, here in Cambridge, so this is not was not work that was done by me. They have shown that calorie information at point of purchase at your coffee shop, for example, you walk by and the, the muffin is four hundred calories. You go, <gasps> you know, that type of thing. <laughs> that 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 information, um, on average, uh, makes a person eight percent less likely to buy the food, um, and hence presumably consume consume the food. So I think what calorie information does. At point of purchase in cafes and restaurants, is to give people pause for thoughts. It makes people think: uh, Do I do I need this food or not? Okay, so mm. there is some use, but is it useful as a piece of information to let you know how healthy something is? You know, if something is four hundred calories, does it mean it's healthier? It's it's healthier than something that's five hundred calories, and the mm. answer there is going to be no. Mm, I, I mean, you raised some really good points there. I, I think it does depend on the goal of the individual, I suppose. And let's let's start by explaining what a calorie is, I guess, in in simple terms for people, so it can become more of an understanding and an informed um, conversation for everybody. Okay, so a calorie, um, a food calorie. There are different types of calories. There's a yes. heat calorie and there's a food calorie. A food calorie is the amount of energy it takes to raise one liter of water, one degree Celsius at sea level. So it's a unit of of it's a unit of energy, and it's calculated. And you might say, well, how do you work that out? It's calculated by something using something called a bomb calorimeter, and that's where it's a sealed container in which you put in a piece of desiccated food. Desiccated because water doesn't have any caloric content per se for for human beings at any rate, mm. and so you burn the food to crisp. And around this sealed container is a known volume of water in a water jacket. And there's a thermometer in there. And put simply, you burn the food and measure how much you heat the water by, and that is the number of calories um, in, in in the food. And so put, that's what a calorie is. Yeah, and when you put it that way, it's a very technical thing. It it doesn't really sound like something you're eating. And I guess to a lot of people listening, they may have heard the number eight percent difference in your um, your colleague's study on the on the muffins. Mm. Now, eight percent may not sound like a lot to people listening. Mm. It, it it isn't. But you have to remember our body weight, small, medium, or large, whatever size you are, um, that you are sitting at now, is the cumulative. Um, it's the cumulative results of thousands of different meals, right? So, so you mm. don't gain or lose weight overnight. People think they do, like they have a big meal and it says, "Oh my God, I've gained five pounds." You haven't. So, um, whereas your the body weight you are is cumulative over many years, which means that even a small difference, five, ten, fifteen calories, but over you know a thousand days, that becomes a lot of calories uh, when you actually begin to be, begin to actually add everything up. So eight percent over your lifespan actually ends up being quite a lot of calories and quite a big weight difference um, uh, mm. between different people. So potentially, we're supposing that the government um, 
advice or well the law now to put to put calories on menus is hopefully going to over time make a difference it's about the time span then that this um action can have a result yes and and they'll so what is interesting about the government um in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll backtrack a bit. So a, another colleague of mine, so I, I work up at the University of Cambridge, but I work, I'm a fundamental biologist. I look at molecules, I look at genes, you, you know, whereas we work above the MRC epidemiology units. And what they do is they look at public health policies, they look at, they look at, um, you know, population, population behavior. And they just published a paper calculating, you know, that over the past 20 or 25 years, there have been, you know, tens, you know, nearly 20 different government initiatives with regards to obesity. Okay, it's, mm. it's been a problem that does. And most of them have not been implemented. And all of them have not worked. Yeah. So why? Why have they not been implemented? And when implemented, why have they not worked? And is this new calorie uh, counting thing, which I want to put in context, has resulted from, um, directly resulted from our PM, our Prime Minister uh, of, of the UK, um, being in hospital, um, suffering poorly from COVID. And, and, and this was, remember, in, in the middle of 2020 during the first lockdown. Mm. And he blamed it on his weight okay oh i'm overweight um and so hence i did more poorly uh with, with, with covid mm. and while he wasn't an interventionist before he left the hospital thinking i must do something about this and this because this government um um this obesity strategy emerged like months after i forgot exactly how many but not a long time after yeah yeah so very quick it, it was very quick um i'm it's, it's, it's nuanced. And I think we need to do something. We need to have a better idea on what we're eating. Um, but is the calorie the right way to the right way to do it, I guess, is the is, is, is the point. Undoubtedly, mm-hmm. undoubtedly, 200 calories of chips is twice the amount of chips as 100 calories of chips. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So but the problem is 200 grams of chips is also twice the amount of chips as 100 grams of chips yeah i think grams and calories are confused giles a lot yeah and and you're not going to compare 200 grams of chips to 200 grams of carrots and say oh oh we have the same amount of 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 calories so saying 200 calories of chips compared to 200 calories of carrots is just as ridiculous so i think calories are useful for comparing the amounts of given food so oh i need to eat less chips okay mm. fine so mm. therefore i'm gonna have fewer calories of chips okay that's perfectly reasonable but to begin to cross compare carrots and chips and donuts and steaks makes no physical sense mm. I, I mean there will also be people listening so of course i can see all sides of this like you i can see where it'd be beneficial i can see where it may not be it'd be harmful that there's so many elements to this but there will also be those individuals out there thinking but it's common sense that some foods you just shouldn't eat as much of as others it's it's how do you think we've got to this this point hmm i think that's a very good question so i there are, I think there are a couple of different answers here. First of all, what kinds of foods do we largely are we largely now exposed to? Mm. And 
and the cost of what kinds of foods. And I think at a at a time when we used to now look before before I continue, I want to I want to point out that I am not a food Nazi. Okay, I believe yes. that we should eat everything that food. Oh is, yeah, food we is, love our that, food. <laughs> that food, is food. But there's certainly some foods we should eat less of than others. Mm. Okay, and I think that that's the situation. And it just so happens that in the current food environment that we're that we're living in, there is a proliferation of lots of foods that we should be eating less of. Um, um, and this, you you can use whatever language you want. Some people call it junk food. Some people call yeah. it ultra processed foods. Some people call it energy dense foods. Whatever mm-hmm. foods you want to you, you you want to say, while they're all different types of foods. You know, you you got to consider some foods are going to be, uh, uh, for every given gram, slightly less healthy than others. And so, while fine at in in moderation, you have to eat slightly less of this. The problem is, in the current food environment that we're actually living in, just take ultra processed foods uh, uh, as as an example that we get now in a high income country such as the UK, uh, anywhere from fifty to sixty percent of our food calories now come from ultra processed foods. So the the food environment we are living in is substantially different. Yeah. Um, and so in the past where we wouldn't have had a reason to have calorie content of food because you went and you bought meat and you bought vegetables. And even now when you buy meat and vegetables, there's no calorie content on the chicken mm-hmm. you bought, for example. But because the food is pre-prepared now and largely pre-prepared, by law, they have to have the calorie counts. People are becoming to be exposed more to the calorie. And so therefore, it's becoming to be more weaponized uh, uh, yes. by policymakers in order to try and also being equated to health. And this is the, the, this is the issue because mm. it's so ubiquitous. It's being more equated to health. And so therefore, whenever we talk about the calorie, we always talk about cutting it. We never talk about increasing the calories. Largely, mm. we always talk mm. about cutting the calorie. Yeah, it's oh, it's such a big topic. Uh, my mind is buzzing with all sorts of questions, thinking what to lead on from that. Because you're you're right that unfortunately, I mean, I think that it was the broken plate report that came out. Mm. The, I think it's the seventh of July, only a, a week or two ago from the time we're recording this podcast. That did say that in socio- in terms of socioeconomics and less um, privileged areas in society, there were more fast food outlets, and their environment um, contains more opportunity to purchase these types of foods. We should be having less of. It doesn't make them good or bad. It just means we shouldn't have. So there's a there's a huge discrepancy in society there, and I think looking at packs is also very confusing for people. I, I think there's kilojoules if we want to touch very quickly and what what are kilojoules you might see kj somewhere depending where you're listening to this as well and then is it actually beneficial to monitor calories i mean how accurate are they giles are, are there any harmful consequences mm. okay so very quickly a kilo uh, one calorie one food calorie is 4.2 kilojoules so they're both units of energy just the kilojoule is a it's a si unit but that's what it is. So if mm. you look at kilojoules and divide it by 4.2, which you're not going to do, that's, no. that, 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 that's, the calorie, that's the calorie number. So now the, the question then comes to, are these numbers even right? And so I guess we mm. can have to take a little bit of a, uh, if, you, if you will allow me, a little bit of a history lesson. Um, I love on, it. Go for it. Love, love <laughs> love on, history. On, on, how, on how we got to the numbers. So, so you look at the side of the pack, where do these numbers come from? Okay. Now, actually, there was a chap... Um, named Professor 
Wilbur Olin Atwater, um, and he was a professor of chemistry uh, in Connecticut in the United States between the eighteen between eighteen eighty and nineteen hundred. So this is a while ago, and he realized that humans were not bomb calorimeters. Okay, and he realized the what I'm calling the sweet corn effect. And the sweet corn effect is we have sweet corn, and then we look at the in the loo the next day, and we mm-hmm. clearly have not absorbed a lot of the sweet corn. Yeah. Okay. So he realized that, oh, wait a minute, humans are not bomb calorimeters. We don't digest and absorb everything that we eat. And he wanted to know, well, how much did we actually digest and absorb? And so over 20 years, this is what he did. And I want you guys to reflect on this before you complain about your job next time. <laughs> so what he did was he, uh, he, he, he put a lot of different types of food into bomb calorimeters, just as sausages, you know, cabbage. Um, to figure out the total number of calories in the food. So he burnt it in a bomb calorimeter. He then fed these individual foods to human beings, okay? And he then waited till it passed through the human being, and he then burnt their poop. Oh, lovely. <laughs> for, yeah, perfect, wonderful, <laughs> delicious. For 20 years. So guys, just think about it. Goodness this. me. So what he then did was he knew the total number of calories in the food. He mm. knew the number of calories that came out the other end. So he knew how many calories we absorbed or or the Mm. human beings absorbed. And so he did, uh, through 20 years of really painstaking work, he came up with these numbers, the so-called Atwater factors. And this is, and you you guys may very well know them, it is nine calories for every gram of fat, Mm -hmm. four calories for every gram of carbs, and four calories for every gram of protein. These are the so-called Atwater factors. Mm -hmm. And every single calorie count you see on all the prepackaged food that everywhere has been pretty much derived from those three numbers now there is a little bit and i know what you guys are going to do once we're done here you're going to go look at your cupboard to see that whether or not i'm wrong you'll (laughs) see a little bit of wobble okay so in other words it's not perfectly 944 and that's because depend different people have different ways of calculating how much protein there is in the food okay Mm. but aside from that the the calorie counts we see everywhere are a hundred to a hundred, hundred twenty years old because he published this work in nineteen hundred. Hundred and twenty yeah. years old. Yeah, wow. The big issue is that Atwater, while he took into account the sweet corn scenario, what we couldn't digest, fiber typically, he did not, could not, because this is one hundred and twenty years ago. Yeah, take into account the amount of energy we took to metabolize the food. So. Mm. You digest food and this gets from the gut into your bloodstream. But then once it gets into your bloodstream, you still need to metabolize it to produce energy. And it takes energy to make to make energy. And because he never took that into account, every single calorie count you see on the back of every single pack is wrong. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, straight away, I want to ask you. So obviously, we're talking about turning food into energy and it being obviously um, discovered years and years ago. Mm. When uh, was the concept of ATP and metabolism discovered? Was that around the same time? I probably was told this at university, but it's not a fact I have retained in my brain. <laughs> so uh, I couldn't give you a date, to be fair. No. ATP happened a little a little later. Yeah. And how food was metabolized, the biochemistry behind that 
was actually only fully worked out probably, I believe, in the uh, 60s, 50s, 60s, wow. and 70s. Okay, where so, the Krebs, yeah. if you remember the Krebs cycle and, mm. and you know, and all, all, of, all, all of that, what, what the mitochondria were and what they were actually mm. doing. I believe it's a, it, was around, it was around then. Plus or minus, I apologize if I, if I got that wrong. It's in the book. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, exactly. It's, it's in your book. And I would also say that this guy, this is what we've got to really appreciate here, did 20 years of research without knowing a lot of the things that we now know today. So it does seem bizarre that we have created a whole concept based on something that is potentially, or is rather, not even potentially, is out of date. So in the book, you do go into a great amount of depth on, you know, heats of combustion and let me think how to phrase the next question because I want to ask you so much. Let's talk about the energy and the process in digestion. And do we know now how many calories or how much energy that takes? Do we have that answer now? Yeah, we have we have an average answer because obviously mm. it does depend how you actually cook the food that influences everything that is there. Mm. But if we just focus simplistically, because it's just easier just to deal with yes. averages, with the three big macronutrients, okay? Yeah. So uh, protein, fat, and carbs, okay? Now, a calorie of protein makes you feel fuller than a calorie of fat, than a calorie of carb, in that order, okay? One mm-hmm. calorie, one exact calorie. And so the question is why? There are two different reasons. Because protein is A, more complex for your body to digest, to break mm-hmm. down. So it travels further down the gut. And so mm-hmm. that automatically makes you feel slightly fuller anyway. Mm-hmm. And secondly, even once it, tr- it, it goes across the gut wall and into your body, okay, it takes longer for your body to metabolize it and more energy. So for every 100 calories of protein that you eat, we only ever absorb on average 70 calories because it takes 30 calories, 30% to actually of energy given off as heat to take apart and metabolize protein. So first off, if you look at the back of every single packet, the protein calories are 30% out. They're 30% wrong because they don't take into account the heat you give off um, um, when you actually when you actually eat 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 the protein. So that's mm-hmm. the, that's the macronutrient with the biggest with the biggest difference. Wow! And looking at that, was there a difference in animal protein and plant protein there, or is this all classified in the same in the same way? So he broke it down. So at water. So just to let you give you an idea that the people think that the four is this really scientifically determined empirical <laughs> number, you know. But what he so what Atwater did was he did measure um, so beans, for example, pulses and and, and what have you. So vegetable plant based protein versus animal based protein, which were written for meat, of course, largely or egg yolks or, or or dairy, and he did find that the uh, the animal that the plant based protein gave off slightly less heat than the animal based protein. Mm. Okay, so what he then did was he averaged the two. And even then, the average was, I think, 3.95 or something. He then, he then rounded it up to four. So the numbers we're working on are, first of all, an average of plant-based to animal-based protein, mm. one, and B, and, and, and two, round up, rounded up anyway. So even in the, the, the numbers that you see, there is already a huge amount of wobble. Mm. I mean, I'm wondering right now why you weren't involved in, in the new government strategies, if I'm being honest, Giles, because it's... Um, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating, but also quite worrying 
how inaccurate things are because they are perceived or taught as if they are gospel, you know, they are 100% accurate. And we know the body just doesn't work that way either, because obviously then there's our metabolism, there's, there's how we utilize different foods in our body. Everything works together, doesn't it? It's just not simple. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. I think the, the problem is we do worship the calorie in very many ways. And, and I understand, in some ways, I understand why, because it's an easy number, because mm. it's a number, it's a universal number we use to try and equate all food. At water that is best to try and put some normalization to it. But with new technology, we have to stress again that, look, we don't eat calories. We eat food. Mm. Then our body works hard, depending on what we've eaten, to then extract the calories from the food. And once we understand that, then we need to know that we don't, what we shouldn't focus on is the amount of calories, but actually in the type of food we're eating. And by focusing on the calories, I want to argue that we're not focusing on the right part of the issue to solve the problem, which is focusing on the quality of the food that we're eating and supplying to people. Yes, yes. And that's, um, that's my daily life, just trying to encourage a, a better quality, quality diet. And I think a big argument you'll see online, Giles, is energy in, energy out. And um, well, you'll see it everywhere, really. But in particular, in the fitness industry, because obviously, they're also taught about calories in the sense that they are everything. Um, how does physical activity make a difference when we're looking at calories? How does physical activity? So, I mean, energy in, energy out is the simplistic way of looking at it. And of course, ultimately, it's true because it's physics, right? So in other words, Mm. but the issue is it's energy in, energy out. Once the energy, once the food is in you and converted into a little poof of energy, then it is energy in, energy out. But it's where we're measuring the energy. And at the moment, we're measuring the energy as it enters our mouth. Whereas we should be measuring the energy, which is more difficult. Okay, I'm not saying this is an easy um, Mm. thing to do at all. But we're measuring it as it enters our mouth rather than as it becomes converted into energy. Now, at that stage, once it's converted into energy, it is energy in, energy out. Which means that if you take those exact poofs of energy that that have been extracted from food, then you need to reduce the number of those uh, uh, energy, uh, reduce the amount of energy there for you to lose weight or increase it in order to gain weight. But that is difficult to do. And and that's part of the problem. And I 
people, I've been speaking about this and people think, well, what's the solution then? You're not giving us a solution. <laughs> I know I'm not because there is no easy solution at the moment. But mm. until we acknowledge there is a problem to begin with, we're not going to be able to sort out the problem. No, this is, I could not agree more. And I think a lot of the time, people can be very harsh on others saying, well, you just need to exercise more, you just need to eat less. But let, let's look at it on the flip side as well. Mm. What if somebody already has an extremely low body weight? Um, you know, and they want to look at putting on weight, which, mm. that, you know, there are people out there that need to do that. We have a few in the nutrition clinic. And I feel like they're completely overlooked because this isn't helping them either, is it? It isn't helping them either because because then well what are they supposed to be eating? Yeah. Are they supposed are they eating the right things in order to gain in order in order to gain weight? Um, or people might say, well, then you might be of a the other thing is people trying to gain weight, and there are also people who are slightly slightly larger. Okay, mm -hmm. they then they then will go but are metabolically healthy. Okay, mm -hmm. and then suddenly they're told they need to lose the weight. But say they're naturally just stockier or larger. Okay, whatever yeah. words you want to use. I'm not using this pejoratively, but you're going to have skinny people. You're going to have medium-sized mm. people and larger people. Mm. And there are going to be some larger people out there who are perfectly metabolically healthy. But yet, because of their weight, are now being told, and because they eat more calories, are now being told to lose the weight or lose the calories. And I think it's this non-nuance it's this inability to have a mature discussion about what it means to be healthy and what it means to eat healthily and and i think that's toxic and i think mm. we need to uh, we need to have a better look at ourselves and mm. have a better look at how we speak about nutrition and what we mean by health yeah i think it's it's very cruel actually when you do look at, i think people in different industries if like i use the example of the fitness industry but from experience for those people out there because it is acceptable to want to lose body fat as well and i like to use the word body fat rather mm. than weight for some Correct. of these individuals yeah i think it's more helpful and it's valid to want to do that that's totally okay but just exercising more in most cases i've found isn't the effective way to do it it is overall lifestyle changes that take a very long time and i would actually say diet may have a bigger impact before exercise does anyway because it's the harder thing to make you eat three times a day sometimes six times a day you, you, we all eat at varying amounts but you will do it every single day so it's a habit or it's a way of life that has to be looked at on an individual level. It's very difficult for Public Health England and for any um, public health campaign, regardless of where you live in the world, to come up with something that is going to work for everybody. It's an impossible challenge. Um, but let's go on to the different types of foods then. So mm. whole foods, I mean, you're, you quite rightly said people describe things in a different way. So processed or junk food or ultra processed um, how are these digested then? Because you said it's in the cooking mechanism as well. And what result does that have on perhaps body fat as well? Mm. So I think what's... So the argument is it's going to be all about caloric availability. Because you, if you have a piece of food, then it doesn't actually matter whether or not, you know, it's been, it's been cooked or it's not been cooked. Okay, a piece of steak, just as an example. If you put it into a bomb calorimeter, it will give off exactly the same number of calories. The calories... Mm do not suddenly disappear or go away. It's, it's, it's still there. But the cooking process acts as part of the digestion process, okay? Because it helps break down some of the fibers and, and, and you know, and some of the, 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 the cells so that when we, we eat it, we expend less energy 
in terms of pulling out the calories from the food. And so the cooking uh, a process was a very important part of human of human evolution. Okay, and and then we get to the point of being well. Then it's a process, and it is a process. Cooked food is a processed food, and so we want to make we want to draw the distinction between processed foods people think are bad for you. They're not because it really depends what kind of processed foods. Because cooking is a process, pickles are processed, bread is a process, cheese is a process. Okay, so these are all processed foods. The main issue comes when you take the foods and ultra process them. Okay, once again, I'm not an ultra-processed food Nazi, but ultra-processed foods are foods that have been processed using industrial techniques that we cannot replicate in a kitchen, we cannot, or even a restaurant. Okay, mm. so these are industrial-based based processes. Now, the problem with ultra-processed foods is it does three things. It strips out protein and it strips out fiber depending on the type of, of, of food you're, you're talking yeah. about and it also strips out flavor and because it strips out flavor you have to replace flavor which comes from salt sugar and fat the holy trinity mm. Mm. so ultra processed foods tend to be high in salt sugar fat and lower in protein and fiber okay so now on the ba- and so therefore become very calorically available because it is protein and fiber that make the food that make your body have to work harder in order to extract, uh, in order to extract the calories. Yeah. So if we look from a purely calories point of view, then we could be looking at a 400 calories of a of a whole food, a steak, uh, a sweet corn, vegetables, whatever, compared to 400 calories of an ultra processed item. Then you're gonna extract a lot more calories from exactly a lot more energy from exactly the same caloric content of food. Um, mm. um, so this is why whole foods it's one of these things we try and encourage people to eat more whole foods even while acknowledging that ultra processed foods modern foods have made it more convenient to us and probably has played a big role in feeding the 7 billion people um, um, in the world the issue is not that ultra processed foods are bad per se I want to argue some disagree with me but the issue is that we're having too much ultra-processed foods, and we need to eat more whole, uh, more whole foods. Yeah. Do you know, it's um, not nature-nurture, it's the wrong way of looking at it, but it's almost the way the world has evolved, and we've just lost touch, and what we've created isn't supporting our long-term health anymore, but it is helping us survive. It's a very um, big, big topic. It's a very very big topic, and the a major, the big issue is 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 this. It's, it's less of an issue, I want to argue, for middle class people like you and me. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah. But it's more of an issue because the food is cheap and because there's long shelf lives and they tend to be the kind of food we get from takeaways and, 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 and what have you. You These are also the food that if you are less privileged uh, uh, and in a lower socioeconomic bracket, that these are the types of foods you are going to tend to eat. Why? Not because you have bad taste and these people need to look after themselves better, but because it's cheaper. And if you are uh, on a in a lower socioeconomic bracket, you have you have to work two minimum wage jobs in order to to put to pay rent and feed your kids. Then maybe sometimes to put food on the table, you need to spend two ninety nine on four frozen pizza to feed your kids. Uh, mm. uh, who are we to judge? So 
I think in thinking about the food environment, we need to think about clearly for you and 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 me, Re. Yeah. Yes, we probably should be eating more whole foods. Maybe we need to think about buying certain things. Yada yada yada. Yes, because we can afford it. We can discuss it. We have the knowledge to change the diets.、Mm. But if you are looking at someone who is underprivileged,、yeah. they lack choices. And so we don't want to ask them. Please replace the chocolate bar with a banana. That's a stupid thing to say sometimes because sometimes life requires a banana. Sometimes life requires a chocolate bar.、Mm. I think the more important question to ask is: Can we make a better chocolate bar? Yeah, yeah. It, the discussion of privilege,、um, our environmental factors, the circumstances we're born into, the place we're born into, the environment we. Brought up in, yeah. There, there's a lot more we can do. Would you say that manufacturers then also have an equally big responsibility、um, in the way our food,、um, our food environment structured? You know, I think they do. There is a huge temptation, and I've seen people do this:、um, demonize the food manufacturers.、Mm. Okay, and I don't think this is helpful. I mean, yes, they are making the food we're eating, and yes. A lot of the food that they're making is we need to eat less of, but I think the way we improve this is not by demonizing the food companies, but by working with them. And and actually, from a purely mercenary point of view, if we can convince the food manufacturers that if they made food healthier by putting more protein, more 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 fiber, less fat, sugar, and salt, that we would be around. Longer, we would live longer, and therefore have more time to spend money on their food. You, you know, if we can convince that、uh, the food manufacturers that there is a market value to making foods healthier, then market forces, I would like to think, would change how the food manufacturers formulate,、uh, um, you know, our diets. Maybe that's naive, but I'd like to think that we well, need to work with the food manufacturers. Yeah, I I like that train of thought very much.、Uh, if only we could just snap our our fingers. I know that it's it's. Just very complicated, and definitely, a lot does need to change. But we do have lots of questions from our listeners for、oh, you, Giles. Yes,、mm-hmm. yes. here we go. So I've I tried to select a few that I thought you would,、um, yeah, that you probably aren't asked all the time, actually, as well.、Um, yeah, not novel, novel, and you know, just different, different types of things. So, Amy has said, "Does my age impact the effect the calories have on my body?" Okay, so the answer is, you know, with all the、uh, greatest respect in the world, Amy, I don't want to get slapped. It depends on how old you are. So I, I think、um, women. So men are very non-complex creatures. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we're born,、um, and then, and then we think about food, and we think about the other thing, and then we die. That's pretty much that's men. That, that's men.、Mm. Women, however, are far more complex because there are stages in a woman's life. Obviously, okay. So ignoring childhood, you have woman pre-baby. Then, then if you if you are a woman who chooses to have a baby, you have the pregnant woman who is a almost like an alien because she has to keep a parasite. And I'm a father, by the way, a parasite、mm-hmm. in her for for. <laughs> then there's a woman post baby, and then there's a woman post menopause. And for for those of you listening, you're gonna fit into one of those uh, uh, four categories somewhere,、mm-hmm. and you'll realize that as you age, things differ. And they do differ because of your hormonal secretions. Clearly, postmenopause—that's the biggest change because your estrogen level drops, and so any number of different things happen, and that then results in the estrogen change. The biggest change that happens is it begins to influence where you store your energy, largely. Okay, the the, the most. So some women find that they change shape. 
um, after menopause, not all, but some. And that's because as the your estrogen levels drop, you, you end up with a slightly different testosterone, the male hormone in inverted commas, but women have it too, to estrogen ratio. And this influences where you put the fat, where you put energy. And so yes, the older you are, what you do with the calorie begins to change. And so therefore, mm. the older you are, the calorie means different things to you. Yes, very, very well answered. And it's important that we do acknowledge that, I think. And Joanna has said, how much does a cheat meal at the weekend matter to my weight? Uh, look, I think, you know, everyone can have one or two meals during the week. And I don't, okay, okay, that's an interesting, that's an interesting mm. way of phrasing it. Okay, cheap in what sense, right? Because obviously you can have a cheap meal that doesn't cost a lot or you can have a, a meal that doesn't cost a, lot, cost a lot but is very cheap. So so I think if you mean cheap by low quality, meaning it's um, comforting and in inverted commas bad for you, which is I think what you're asking, then I just think that we should be looking at our diet as a whole rather than each individual meal. And so if you have a, a meal that you consider to be in inverted commas bad for you because it's cheaper, because it's a takeaway, well, then what you want to do is you want to look at your whole diet and say, well, okay, well, on during the weekdays, I'll eat healthier. I'll, I won't eat as much meat. I'll eat more whole foods. And in mm. doing that, you're going to be perfectly fine. I think we need to not worry too much about each individual meal, uh, um, but actually look at our diet as a whole. Amazing. And then Amelia has said, I'm very confused because when I look online, there seem to be two camps, those that say you don't need to lose weight and those that say you do. All my family carry weight around their waist. So what should I do? Mm. So this is the, the, the people that don't say that say you don't need to lose weight. I mean, a large number of them sit within what they call the body that what we call the body positivity camp. And I and I perfectly understand why the body the body positivity movement, which is health at every size, mm. um, has emerged because society is awful to people who who are larger. Okay, to yes. the larger individual, we're awful. Uh, we as a society. Yeah. But and here is a nuanced um, um, answer. Mm -hmm. So, I think we need to think about what happens when we gain or lose weight. People think that we gain or lose fat cells, and and that's not true. Your fat cells are like balloons; they get bigger and get smaller. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, and, and the safest place to store fat is in, is, is in the fat. But what happens is when fat is not in the fat cell and they're in your muscle and liver, that's when you become ill. And so here's the subtlety. The subtlety is all of us, um, men versus women, uh, uh, South Asians versus East Asians versus white people, we all store differing amounts of fat safely. So some people white people in particular, Polynesians, can store a lot of fat safely, whereas East Asian people, people like me, South Asian people, Indians, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, cannot store that much fat safely before they become at risk of different diseases. Mm. So while there is health at many sizes in a population, there are going to be larger people who are perfectly healthy and skinny people with type 2 diabetes. Okay, yeah. they cannot be health at every size. So because if you or me, if I surpass my own personal safe fat carrying capacity, I will become ill. So that that is my nuanced answer. I actually really appreciate your answer. And I think you've said it far better than I ever could. So thank you so much for answering that. We're going to move on to something a bit more fun, which is the yeah. fact or fiction round. Mm, yes, I remember <laughs> this. Are you ready? 
Mm, let's do this. <laughs> okay, if you could answer fact or fiction to the following. Mm. Genetics influence weight more than anything else. <laughs> fiction. Supplements are key to optimal health. Oh, fiction. No diets will work for long-term weight loss. Now... I, I, I'm I, I'm going to have to uh, go more. for it. <laughs> I am to have to say because any diet that gets you to eat less is a diet that in inverted commas works. The problem is diets don't work not because they don't work but because we can't stick to them. Mm. Because the moment you come off a diet, the weight's going to come back on. Mm -hmm. So I think um, diets work if you can stick to them. So if you can find a diet that you can stick to, then it's a diet that works. Wonderful. Energy in versus energy out is all that matters. Once it's in you as a little poof of energy, but not when we're measuring it when it enters our mouth. <laughs> Nutrients, not numbers, is what matters. In fact. Brilliant. Shots first thing in the morning will boost your metabolism up. No. no. Um, um, the only thing that will change your metabolism or the only things are A, your body weight, the larger you are, the higher metabolism, the, the lighter you are, the less, and actually exercise. So the, when you exercise, you actually temporarily increase your metabolism. So those are the only things that can boost your, uh, your, your metabolism. A shot of turmeric is not going to do it. Weight loss without regular exercise is impossible. False. But, uh, so wait, I'll, I'll, let me give the, the, the answer to this. Um, yes. I'm just a longer answer. Um, weight... I think you need to you you need to eat less to lose weight. Um, it's just very difficult to lose weight just purely through exercise. But and I have to add this in, weight uh, exercise is very useful for weight maintenance. Once you've actually mm. lost the weight, it's very useful to help you keep it off. And even if you don't lose a single gram of weight, exercise is always going to be wonderfully wonderful for you. So always exercise, even if you don't lose a single weight, a single gram. Love it. Breakfast eaters typically less in the day than those who skip it. I think that depends on who you on on who you are. So so this is the the, the situation of whether or not you, we all should be eating more at breakfast. I think mm. undoubtedly having more at breakfast is having eating breakfast is good for some people. I think it's overstated. I think what we need to do is to look at the quality of our diet and the amount of the amount of, of food we're eating as a whole. 100%. Low fat is healthier than full fat. Ah, well, it depends what kind of fat we're talking about, right? <laughs> so, so clearly, if we're talking about saturated fats, okay, then we need to eat less saturated fats. So these tend to come from animal based. So, so, so that's a f fiction. So, and, and, um, Whereas if we're talking about something like uh, olive oil, unsaturated fats, in particular olive oil or fish oils, well, what, what, what really? I, I think those are going to be actually quite good for you as mm. long as you don't have, you're not drinking liters of it. <laughs> Brilliant. Skinny is the healthiest body type. No, false. Because, because I think you can have skinny people that are completely unhealthy. I think one of the, the best, so, so fiction, I think the best marker for health particularly when you get older is actually your your lean to fat mass ratio so the amount of muscle you have is actually more 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 important than how much fat you actually have amazing giles that was a wonderful fact or fiction round thank you 
so much. It does nearly... Well, I'm sad because it wraps up the episode. Uh, we obviously always finish with a food for thought at the end, but I do feel that we need to really think about how complex and not simplistic calories are actually. And from listening to you and the, the wonderful history lesson that we all received, which I hope everybody really um, was as captivated as I was listening to that, that science is evolving and it's amazing what we know now, but it's so strange to still be relying on something that perhaps is outdated but of course in a way we do need to so it's it is complex calories can be very deceptive i think and unfortunately perhaps i've got a bias here myself that i work in a nutrition clinic but i see how damaging it can also be for mental health um there's that aspect to consider and of course the exercise element Giles mentioned you know it's wonderful for mental health so I love that you said Giles you know don't, don't worry if you don't lose any weight because exercise mm. does wonders for your mind and for your cardiovascular absolutely. health absolutely so it, it's worth it's worth keeping it but Giles if you could leave our listeners with a take-home message today what would that be oh two two thoughts if I if I can one I've repeated yeah. before but I will less we eat food and not calories guys Brilliant. that is so important so think about the quality of your diet first thought and second thought is, let's not obsess about weight. I think we need to think mm. about our health rather than our weight. And if we are healthy, your weight will take care um, of itself. It doesn't mean you're going to be skinny and look like Angelina Jolie. But mm. if you are healthy, then you are at the right weight that you need to be at. It's an amazing, amazing narrative that we should all aim to follow there. Giles, thank you. And if you could direct our listeners to your new book and where we can find out more about you, even your podcast, where should they head? Okay, so my new book is called Why Calories Don't Count. And it's available everywhere, published by Orion. And I do have a podcast. And I will have you on if the publishers <laughs> choose to 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 fund another round of it. And this is this is always <laughs> tricky, as you as you know. I but know. my podcast is called Dr. Giles Yo Choose the Fat, um, and that's available on where everyone gets their um, podcasts. And I highly recommend it. And you're also on social media as well, I believe. And thank you, Giles, once again for a wonderful conversation and for coming on Food for Thought. Thank you so much, Reed. If you are enjoying Food for Thought, you are going to absolutely love our up and coming episodes. So if you don't already, make sure you're subscribed. That way you will be the first to hear it every Monday. It would also be brilliant if you have the time to leave a review. These reviews are so crucial to make sure that we can reach more people and of course reach those higher highs in the charts. For more information about my nutrition clinic, the books, healthy recipes, and so much more, please visit nutrition.com. You can follow me at nutrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And of course, don't forget The Science of Nutrition, my latest book, will be out December the 30th, 2021. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.